Hi, welcome to the first episode of the Monetize podcast, and this is your host Sandeep Jain. In this podcast, we invite thought leaders from B two B enterprise monetization space, that's CPQ, billing, revenue operations, etc., so that you can learn about challenges, opportunities, and best practices in setting up an enterprise monetization systems. Today, our guest is Elisa Liebowitz. Elisa is currently director of business applications at PagerDuty. Now, Alyssa has been there for over nine years, and she started when uh, PagerDuty was a, was a private company, uh, I guess less than 20 employees and no systems in place, to the point where it is right now, uh, it's a public company with, of course, uh, a very set code to cash systems. Um, Alyssa, it's a great pleasure to have you as the first guest on my show. I'm very excited. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So, hey, before we start, can you give us a, a quick summary of your background and your journey into, into PagerDuty? For sure, yeah. So, um, as you already mentioned, I've been at PagerDuty for, for quite some long time, uh, very, very long when you think about a startup world and how people bounce around. So, I've seen um, the transformation of the company as well as our systems and, and um, regarding our quote to cash systems. I actually started on the support team. So, I was um, actually support for our PagerDuty product. Um, and we were selling everything basically online through credit card and we didn't really have a sales team, no Salesforce, no, um, we had an internal billing system that I think was um, built with a accounting for dummies book kind of thing. So um, yeah, it was very interesting. But as, as we matured as a company, as we hired our first salespeople, um, I really began to explore other options in the company and, and where I could grow my skills and what really suited me. And I actually um, transitioned to sales operations, which at the time when you're a smaller company that houses a lot of the systems uh, configuration and implementation. So I was, although I was sitting under sales ops, I, I had a lot of those responsibilities and I learned uh, the tools and I learned Salesforce. And then as the company continued to grow, those functions became separated um, and that, that's pretty common. And we actually developed a business systems team. And I was lucky enough to be kind of one of the, one of the founders of that, of that team and really build it up. So yeah, and that's kind of where I am today. I have a team of about 15 people that manage our Salesforce, our Azure, which is our billing system, our ERP, and and those systems that support the quote to cash function. Awesome, awesome. And hey, uh, I think all of my guests would know what PagerDuty does, but could you just describe quickly what PagerDuty is doing? Yeah, so PagerDuty is an incident managed platform. Uh, we integrate with monitoring tools that um, are monitoring your website or your online platforms or presence to determine if there's issues. And then we um, actually notify the correct people to quickly and efficiently resolve those issues. We have um, on-call schedules and escalation policies. So if the, the, so that the right people are alerted at the right time. Um, we also have advanced reporting and analytics and we're moving towards a, a model where we wanna be proactive about not only responding to incidents, but preventing those as well. Awesome, understood. And Alyssa, you mentioned that you have a team of 15 people. Uh, can you describe roughly like what people are working on? Like is, is it CPQ, billing? Is it all across the, the cash stack? Yeah, so um, I would say the, the three main tools are uh, Salesforce, which houses are, we, we leverage, we use Salesforce CPQ as well. 
um, Zora Billing, which is our billing platform, and then our ERP is NetSuite. Understood. And, yeah, and we have, I, I would say, five or so developers and admins supporting the Salesforce and Salesforce CPQ tools. Um, we have four engineers supporting the billing service and, and Zora Billing, and then um, two folks supporting the NetSuite uh, product. Got it. And you mentioned earlier that you had a homegrown billing system. Is that still being used today? No. So we, we luckily migrated off of that many years ago before we became a public company. So, um, and, and that transformation was really interesting and I definitely learned a lot, but um, yeah, we, we were scrappy in the beginning and started with a homegrown system. So. Got it. Got it. And do you also have a self-serve and a partner channel uh, utilizing your total cash stack today? We do. So we have uh, we have a self-serve portal. We partner with uh, the growth team who manages more of like the front end and we um, we manage the back end. So ensuring that anyone that actually goes to purchase on our self-serve portal, um, we actually collect the money, the, the invoicing is correct and all of that stuff. Um, we also have partner um, channel. They, they can also purchase through our self-serve. And um, today our direct uh, sales team quotes on behalf of our partners and actually send the quotes to them directly. And then they interface with the end user. Understood. Got it. Um, so shifting gears a little bit, what are the biggest challenges in this, uh, in this system today as, as you see it right now? <laughs> biggest challenge is definitely like a loaded question. Um, I, I probably could pick from a number of different things. Um, I think right now, there's there's a lot of like process and prioritization challenges like we're we're getting asked from the business um i think we want to continually change pricing and products and how we sell or be able to customize for a specific enterprise um customer and, and do something maybe that's not within our like current use cases and being able to do that quickly and, and it's, it's a little bit difficult, right? To be able to get all the requirements, make sure your ducks in a row, get UAT done and, and be able to keep up with how fast we're, we're moving and changing with that. Understood. And is this, is this partly, is, is this process and tools combined or is this, is this like more process than tools or more tools than process? Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I think honestly, it's, it's a little bit more process in, in my experience just uh, because we do have like, a scalable and a good foundation um, with our systems. And there's a lot of um, business decisions that change frequently and often and keeping up with that is, is a challenge. So um, getting the requirements dialed in at the front and, and not changing them is, is definitely something we're working with all the time. Got it. Um, and Alyssa, what are the priorities for you uh, and your team in the next few quarters uh, as you see it? Yeah, for sure. So um, you mentioned we have Salesforce CPQ. So this past year uh, in 2020, we actually completed the, the implementation of Salesforce CPQ and the integration with um, the Zora billing. So that was kind of the huge milestone of last year and um, set the foundation for really what we're going to do going forward. As we look into next year, we're really going to prioritize a lot of our self-serve business. So we've scaled up CPQ and, and we can do a lot of things, um, whether it's early renewing, doing quarterly billing, all these permutations, right? Tiered pricing, everything like that. And um, 
we have a more limited set uh, on the self-serve side and we're gonna try to mirror the two and, and get that um, more caught up so that customers can go and, and auto renew or early renew in, in the platform directly um, easily and seamlessly. So I think that's one of the biggest initiatives. Um, secondly, we um, PagerDuty actually acquired the, our first company. So it was our first acquisition, I guess it was in Q4 of last year. So um, we're learning how to integrate this uh, run deck, this company into our systems and processes, and ultimately be able to cross sell, sell both uh, PagerDuty and run deck products on the same order form or in the same quote. Um, and then the last piece is automatic booking. So now that we've had, we've set up CPQ and, and we think it's scalable and it, it's proven itself and it's a proven model, um, we want to be able to auto book uh, those, those simple deals, right? So, hey, I have this cookie cutter, 10 licenses, 10% off. Like, why does, why does someone need to manually touch this? Once the customer is agreed and signed, it should just seamlessly get booked into our billing system and the licenses should get automatically provisioned for our customers. Understood, understood. And uh, a couple of follow-ups here, Elisa. Uh, so you talked about the acquisition of a company and integrating or doing cross-sales there. Um, do, you, do you see any challenges in doing that or is it mostly like a work that needs to be done? Um, yeah, I think we're very early on um, right now. So I think um, luckily it seems fairly straightforward from, from the front end. And I think we have a good plan in place. I think what we're most concerned about is um, what the architecture will look like and how um, having customers from another uh, company will work within our systems and, and anything we need to be aware of. Right now, I think, I think we have a good plan, but of course the devil's in the details and I'll probably learn more and be able to report back and at a later date what challenges we really faced there. Understood. And uh, the second one is, Elisa, what I've heard from most people is that if they have like two separate product catalogs, one which is in the CPQ system and another is in a separate billing system, that causes a lot of friction in, in yeah. the is that is that your experience as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know if friction, but it, it's definitely time consuming and there's um, a lot of things that need to happen to to map the two products together. Luckily, it's, it's a one-time set up and then you're done. So once you've gotten um, the right plans and SKUs set up in your in your billing platform, then you can create them in CPQ and and set and forget type of thing. But it is it is time consuming, a little bit more time consuming than I would like. Um, we've we've toyed around with the idea of um, an internal tool for our team to to do this in a more automated way, but unfortunately we haven't gotten there yet. There's just been too many more like end user facing priorities. But um, it's actually uh, bubbled up again, just because we will have to create um, way more SKUs than we ever had to um, to integrate Rundeck into our systems. Right, we'll have to build out their entire product catalog. So um, it might it might be the right time for us to to build um, something to to better enable that mapping. Understood. And Alyssa, you have been involved in these systems from literally the day one. Do you have any observations on like you, you see when you look at your colleagues or peers that pe you know, these are mistakes that people are continuously making while setting up their code to cash systems? So any sort of recommendations on like this is to avoid or, or keep this in mind or do it this way? Any, anything on those lines? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, something I've seen over and over um, both we, we went, we used Zora's quoting solution before we moved to CPQ and 
um, I found true in both situations is trying to deploy all at once and not breaking out into to smaller chunks. It's always a challenge, right? When you have um, two different systems running at once that ultimately are doing the same thing. Um, but the, doing the big bang deploy is always a recipe for disaster. Uh, and, and we did much better when we broke it down into to smaller use cases. And you have to be creative and figure out ways that um, the end user is not going to be impacted. It's going to be intuitive for them to understand when they need to use system A versus system B. Um, but it's, it's critical to continue keep your velocity and, and minimize risk. Um, another thing I can think of is uh, when we, we moved from our homegrown billing system to, uh, to Zora, we, the data migration was definitely the most challenging. We, we had a system before that, um, that we didn't really have clear start and end dates and, and figuring that out and mapping that was, was super challenging. And um, at the right time we were focused on that and we put a lot of effort into that exercise and it, it paid off because that definitely was the most challenging thing. New business is always easy, but moving your legacy customers is, is not always the same. Interesting. Got it. And a couple of follow-ups here, Alyssa, again. Um, I was thinking, let's say, let's say PagerDuty was starting today instead of 10 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. All the knowledge that you've gained 10 years uh, earlier. So would you start, like, what would you do different uh, right now? Would you, would you still write your own billing system? Uh, would you advise against it? Like, what's your what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, for sure. So um, when I got there, even though we were under 20 employees, the homegrown billing system was actually already in place. Um, I think it actually at the time did serve its, our purpose. I have a little, I have less knowledge on how long it actually took to, to get up and running, but um, I think it was actually minimal, like it, uh, in terms of level of effort, not minimal, but um, not, not, too large. Um, I think now, 10 years later, with looking at what's in the market and what's available, I definitely um, look to, to buy, maybe overbuild. I think that that, um, I wasn't part of that initial evaluation, but I think um, going through the pros and cons of that, and um, if there's something in the market, I, I'm normally uh, preferring to buy, um, then you can leverage their consist, um, they're focused on that product, right? And they're going to continue and continuously enhance and improve it and, and support you, especially if they have a, a good like support and community team. And, um, and then something that's flexible, right? That you can, can customize, but have that good base for. So yeah, I, I'd probably I'd probably evaluate what's out there, but I, I, don't, I don't know if I can say what I would do um, for certain. So. Got it, got it. And Alyssa, when you shifted from self-serve, I believe that's what you started with initially. And then you got the direct sales element into your selling. Uh, was there uh, any sort of experience from that transition? Was that smooth? Like what are the problems to watch out for during that transition? Yeah, I mean, I think it came mostly with um, understanding um, customers' subscription terms and, 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 and customizing that, right? When you're self-serving, when you're accepting a credit card, it's, it's very easy month to month or one year and they just swipe their card and everything happens seamlessly, right? But when customers start getting specific, oh, it needs to start on this day because of this budget and it needs to do that, um, it just adds a lot of complexity to, to, to everything right off the bat. Um, I remember we actually were using standard quotes in Salesforce and, um, uh, Salesforce's standard quotes are not built for SaaS. They are built for like singular, I guess, um, one-time products, right? So um, being able to 
to do a SaaS model in with that was was really challenging, and you kind of got got to work through the pains and get through some hacks there. But yeah. That's interesting. You mentioned this because a lot of people I've spoken with do the same thing. You know, once they're growing, they try to use, or some people call abuse, the Salesforce CRM as their CPQ by creating a product catalog there, but which which does not scale eventually. Um, yeah, so, uh, I for sure. I, I I remember we used to have like product A three months, product B four months. <laughs> so it was like by the by the time we were on um, Thoris or Quotes, it was. Um, we had been able to get down from like many hundred to under 30 products. And it was a huge, huge come up. So. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, Alyssa, is there a, are there any metrics that you would suggest to measure the health of this code to cash pipeline, if you will? Yeah, for sure. So I think that there's a lot of things. I think um, measuring uh, time it takes to quote. So there's a couple ways you can do that, right? Like how long are our sales taking to actually generate a quote? So we captured like number of clicks pre-CPQ, number of clicks post-CPQ. Um, measuring um, a lot, a lot of the metrics are also dependent on business, right? If you're measuring um, how long approvals take, but um, leveraging simultaneous approvals to show that. Um, also, we had a lot of um, manual processes, what we call like a manual order form if the system did not support a specific use case. So measuring how long those took. And then um, once we were able to automate in CPQ, like bringing it down. So um, we, we saw some use cases where um, we were doing about 40 or so deals um, a month with this. And it was taking upwards of two days to get the quote out to the customer. And once we released the functionality, we were seeing it, it out in under 10 minutes. So it was just a huge, huge win across the board. So those were really key metrics. Um, I think also just seeing, um, just cap capturing bugs and questions like over time and, and make, making sure those are trending downwards are, are critical. Um, and then also just measuring the velocity and the capacity, right? How many quotes am I able to do or how many, how many are the system running and, and how does that compare to, to previously? Understood, understood. And typically how many lines of quotes are there in your case? Like, is it tens, hundreds? I don't think it'll be thousands, but. Oh, uh, like, do you mean products on like a single quote? Yeah, yeah, just roughly your quote sizes. Yeah. Just so that yeah, we we have pretty low low numbers. Um, I would say probably one to five is like average. So I know a lot um, a lot of companies have hundreds of lines. So that's probably um, a little bit different. But yeah, we have um, I think our whole product catalog we have about thirty five SKUs or something like that. So. Well, I, maybe I should have started with that so that people have a context. Yeah. Because uh, I, some of the folks I've spoken with, you know, they have, they're public companies, like few years they've been public and their SKUs are like thousands at this stage. I mean, yeah. a few thousands. And uh, their biggest struggle is around training and how to do quoting because a salesperson goes there and it's like, oh my God, what should I even quote right now? So uh, there are sure. different scale of challenges uh, for them. Yeah. And we've honestly done a really good job of keeping the product catalog clean because we, um, you know, we overhaul or release um, updated pricing. And then um, you have all these legacy customers that are still on the old SKUs or plans. And um, we do a lot of work to transition or map them to the new plan so that um, everyone has our like greatest and latest. And um, it's, it's a more scalable process because then we only have to maintain um, the most active current SKUs. 
Got it. And uh, I should have asked you this earlier. Do you support multiple currencies at PagerDuty? I know you guys have, you sell globally, I think. Right now, only USD. Okay. But do you sell globally as well with USD or is it USD in US only? We sell globally in USD right now. Understood. Understood. Um, is, is that, by the way, have uh, been asked like multiple currency support in, in your corporate cash systems? Is, has that been an ask? It has been an ask, um, just continues to be a lower priority than some of the other things coming up, but um, I'm sure we'll get to it. It might be in this year, so. Okay. Um, and any recommendation, um, you know, code to cash systems, they, they present some challenges. So when CEOs think about this, are there, is there any guidance that you can give to, to the leaders when they are thinking about these systems, like in terms of? Uh, the budget or timelines, any anything to think about, like this is not an easy thing or any recommendations that you have? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think um, uh, I'll just speak to the CPQ project because it's the most recent in my mind. Um, but I, I think there were a couple things that I underestimated when I predicted like uh, the level of effort and how long it would really take us to, to deliver this work. Um, we used our internal resources, which was awesome because now we have subject matter experts they got trained in cpq and um and they built it from the ground up um the prop the, the flip side of that is they also had their day jobs right we had to keep salesforce operational and and all this while we were building this um this brand new system and tool so um as much as i would have loved that they could be heads down like working on um net new functionality in this huge project um the reality was their time was not fully dedicated and and stuff like that. So I think that that was something I should have called out earlier and figured out how to resource appropriately. Um, and then the other thing was we actually uh, IPO'd while we were undergoing this, this change. So um, that actually increased a lot of like our requirements for change management and, and compliance. So we were held to a more stringent process and, um, and as much as I think that that was a great thing for us to, to deliver a product that was um, really great by the end. It meant that the, the velocity had to, to give a little bit and slow. So it ultimately ended up taking a little bit longer than I would have anticipated. Did that answer your question? No, yeah, yes, it does. Okay, and, cool. And also, by the way, as part of this process, do you recommend uh, having an external help like system integrators to, to help with this thing? Or do you think people can, if they are tight on budget, they, it's, they can do it by themselves? Yeah, I mean, I think a combination is probably what I would recommend. We had external resources, but we really only ramped up our velocity when we got when we got internal in-house developer, um, probably a third of the way through the project, and then uh, we just started to accelerate our our velocity. Uh, I think having those expertise and benchmarking against other organizations and and consultants that have maybe gone through this transformation before is super helpful, but um, leaving it all to them and not having your internal resources involved is just gonna um, leave you in, in a bad situation when um, they move on to their next project and you have to support this, right? This is not a project that is necessarily done, right? Like I've delivered it, but um, we're continuing to enhance it and change it and develop it. And it's super, super helpful to have um, the expertise in-house. Got it. And a related question there, Alyssa. Uh, now, since monetization spans across different functions, like it does in engineering, it has some roots in finance, sales, and even marketing and support. Uh, do you have any recommendation on how to set up the, the team um, 
monetization teams, uh, given that it is a multifunction uh, domain right now? Yeah, I don't know if I have a great answer for this one. I mean, I think our teams have are set up really well, um, but not not perfect. Uh, like I said, there's there's shared um, responsibility, and you kind of need to involve three, if not four, teams to to really hit every single piece of the entire puzzle, um, which sometimes slows down the whole process, right? Like I need to engage. Um, our growth team to be able to change the front end. I need to engage our, you know, Salesforce team if I want to do something in CPQ and our monetization team if we want to do something like in the back end. So it, I think there's benefits to it is that we have um, subject matter like expertise in certain areas, but um, we definitely toyed with the idea of moving it all into one like global monetization team um, at the company. Uh, so. I think stay tuned on the answer on that one. I don't know. I'd love to hear other people's um, uh, opinions because I think that there's um, things that are working for us and things that are that are not, and um, we're definitely open to to hear that. So. Interesting. And so, Alyssa, I probably didn't catch this earlier. So, are you part of in the IT team or finance team? And I've seen business applications in kind of both uh, areas. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I I report directly to the VP of IT, but IT actually. Uh, the VP of IT reports to the CFO. So we are, un, I'm in IT and finance, I guess, is what you could say. I see, I see. And you yeah. talked earlier about a monetization team, backend team, which function is that sort of under? So that, yeah, that's under myself. Um, they're, they manage our, like the Zora and our internal billing service. So, yeah. Okay, so yeah, the, that's with you then, right? Um, Yep, that's with me, correct. Got it. So the growth team that you talked about for the front end changes, that that that's probably a separate team under marketing, I guess. Co correct. So they're more focused on like, hey, like where should we put this? How should we optimize the the account settings so that customers have a seamless experience, can easily check out and purchase? And then um, we're we're there on the back end to make sure that purchase goes through, that we're um, that we're sending the right preview numbers over to the front end so that they can display. Um, almost like a, a PDF quote within the, within the account settings and stuff like that. So we partner really closely with them on a lot of our key initiatives. Interesting. And I've heard all sorts of different uh, ways that companies are dealing with this right now. Uh, mm -hmm. For example, a certain company moved this entire function under engineering uh, because the kind of changes that they had to make, it required more engineers on the team. So they decided to do that. Another company, they created a separate engineering function completely uh, to handle this. Uh, another one, uh, they had engineers and product managers sitting in the IT team to, to deal with more of these issues. So it's, it's, it's kind of all over the place as I'm seeing it right now. So I was curious as to what you guys are doing yourself. Yeah, for sure. I, I've, heard, I've heard those same things too. And, and honestly, our, the monetization team that is under me and IT now um, has in the past been under engineering. Um, specifically when we, when we did the huge transformation of our homegrown billing system to Zora. So um, it, sit, it sat under engineering during that um, implementation. Got it. Um, and changing gears a little bit, uh, Alyssa, uh, do you guys do usage-based billing or are you thinking about this or any thoughts on that? Yeah. We, we use it, we've used it in the past very lightly. Um, I think it's mostly deprecated now, but yeah, I, I have, um, less experience with usage-based billing. Um, 
we did it, I think, at one time for um, international alerts because they were um, more costly mm-hmm. for the business, um, where we basically, at the end of each month, would run um, would run a job and determine, okay, how many um, how many international alerts were sent on this customer's account, and and those were billed a certain way. Um, but that was that's a legacy product, so we don't do any usage based billing now. Got it, got it. And a related question, or maybe a partially related question, I think since you were in support earlier, um, uh, would you be able to share like the percentage of questions that come up in support because of billing things or, I don't know, courts not being right? Um, oh man, I don't, I, <laughs> I, was, I was in the support in 2012, 2013. So I think those metrics have changed pretty drastically. Um, so I don't really, I don't have those up to date numbers. Um, and I don't really remember from that long ago, to be clear, but. Um, uh, the the number that I've heard, by the way, uh, it's yeah. uh, 40%. Uh, and wow. this, this is for a company that's not heavily direct sales based. Uh, but this is like more self-serve getting into into direct selling. Um, so yeah. they, they deal with more with self-serve flows and customers having yeah. issues. So. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we luckily we have pretty good um, knowledge base and like tech and documentation for the customer to access. And I think it's um, pretty intuitive and self-explanatory. Customers can view their invoices through the portal and, and kind of see all the information they need to. So. I, I believe it's not super high, but I, I can't speak to the actual percentage. Got it. Um, and Alyssa, any recommendations or advice to vendors in this space? Like, uh, folks, you need to be focusing more on this and not on that. This is what your customers are feeling the pain, customers as in you. Uh, so any recommendations or advice on what things should be in your code to cash that are not currently? Yeah, for sure. And um, I think I think most people would probably agree, but um, we're using tools that um, are, you know, owned by different platforms, owned by different companies that are being worked on in, in like kind of silos, right? And we've done our own internal um, integrations to link them, to, to make them work together as seamlessly as we possibly can. Um, but I think it would really um, benefit these vendors to work closely to each other and, and not, I, I know sometimes they are in, in direct competition, but you know, so-and-so is best in class in, in billing, but another is best in class in CPQ. Like how do, how do they make it easy for our customers or do we have one product that makes it um, the most easy for everyone? Because that's where we spend most of the time and it's where a lot of the technical challenges and, and thinking time really comes into play. Got it. Uh, and any advice or or maybe actually predicting where this industry is headed in the next few years in the court to cash? And maybe I think it relates to what you said earlier about, you know, best in class CPQ and best in class uh, a billing. Um, maybe there's a unification. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And I think, I don't know if this is it might be a little bit unique to, to pager duty, but we, um, like you said, we have a direct and we also have a self-serve business. Um, another thing we allow uh, our customers to do is buy through both channels um, seamlessly. So I can go and buy through a sales rep and then um, day two, the next day, go online and, and purchase five more users if I want. And, and having those two processes work seamlessly. So then when I go back to, to requote the customer on my third transaction, I've um, I'm able to see that they bought five users through the platform and, and only um, modify their most current 
a subscription version. Um, maybe think about, um, I think a lot of the vendors today have like really focused on one channel or the other and really thinking, thinking about it more holistically um, and, and making sure you can support both in, um, in a real way. Got it, got it. Um, Elisa, this brings us to the end of uh, the podcast, but before we let you go, can you share with the audience uh, any sort of business-related resource like a book or a podcast uh, that you come across that you'd like to share with the listeners? Yeah, for sure. So um, we recently had our uh, company leadership kickoff for fiscal year 22, and we had a, we had a bunch of guests. And um, one person really inspired me. His name is Adam Grant. He has a lot of books and podcasts, and he talks about how um, teams should work together. And, and he gave a lot of like really... Um, cool recommendations that I took back that were super actionable and maybe not not intuitive at first, but thought would really benefit the way my team works. So I really appreciated that. And then um, we we all got the book Think Again that I'm about to, to written by him and I'm about to get started on it. So yeah, I would I would check him out. Interesting. Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned Adam Grant. Uh, uh, frankly, I'm not a big book reader. I don't have that much patience. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm mostly a, a bite consumer, like short stuff, but I did end up reading his book originals. Um, really? Yeah. And I, and it was one of the very refreshing reads uh, that I've ever had. And the interesting thing about that book was, at least for me, was it was not pedantic. Like, it's not like somebody standing on a pedestal and saying, thou shall do things this way. And this is the only mm -hmm. way of things. Um, Adam was giving examples of how things can happen. And I believe that's a good way of at least how I learn things better uh, when people share examples with what they're saying. And I think that book was re really great. So Yeah, for sure. He, he gave a lot of great ideas. He even um, talked about like how technical teams should be brainstorming and that um, a lot of times when you're getting together as a group, um, people are just uh, more inclined to agree with it. I think he called it the highest paid person in the room and, and giving time um, people time to go off on their own and really think about the, the problem and then come together after they've had that time, um, get some really creative and um, different ideas that are um, that you may and probably would have not gotten before. So um, that was one thing I took, took from his talk. Awesome. Hey, Elisa, thank you so much again for your time and uh, great to have you on the show. Awesome. Thanks so much.